So Lord, thank you for this time. Um, Lord, thank you for the book of Lamentations. I do pray, Lord, that, that um, you would just allow us to focus our hearts on you. We would allow to, you just allow us to see um, who you are, uh, how you love us, what you do, um, what's important to you. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would, you would speak to us. You would allow us to understand what we're seeing, what we're reading. Um, and, Lord, that we really would take it to heart, uh, that we would see the big picture of what you're doing. And we'd also see the specific events that are, are going to be discussed. But, Lord, we do not want to come here and leave the same. So we give you permission, Lord, that you would shape our hearts. You would change us. You would shape us. And, Lord, we do want to be Christians who are bold and who, who don't, get, don't hold back. And I know that's one of my own specific prayers. Lord, I'm holding back, and I don't want to hold back anymore. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us into that next step of faith that you're calling us to. So, Lord, we thank you for this time, and we ask, Lord, that your word would go forth as you see fit. So allow your truth to be spoken clearly and allow us to hear it clearly and let it be effective um, to change this world for your kingdom. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as you know, we're in our favorite book called Lamentations, right? Which is a fancy word for saying crying a lot and um, very deep crying. So anywhere I can, I'm going to try to inject humor in there because it's not, you know, it's hard to, you know, enjoy crying, right? That's not something that we typically do, right? So, um, and, you know, just from a big picture, you know, there are five chapters and they are kind of distinct um, chapters, right? And each chapter is a song or a poem and they kind of have a different focus. So we're going to be on chapter two today. But this is all about... Um, Israel, right? We, we kind of talked a little bit about the history last week, but it was one nation, if you will, one kingdom, and it got separated right after King Solomon. There was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And over time, the northern kingdom got taken over by the Assyrians, and then eventually, this is what we're talking about now, eventually the southern kingdom of Judah was taken over uh, by the Babylonians, right? And so this is considered to be written by Jeremiah, the prophet, and in your Bible, they're right next to each other. So it's a really... Uh, convenient, you know, place in. So it kind of, it just flows well. And then in addition to Israel being taken over, uh, one of the, the strategies of the Babylonians was they would take the best of whatever country they took over. And then, you know, whether it's the smartest, the strongest, you know, most political, you know, you, you, you name it. And they would take all of the good stuff, bring it into their capital, if you will, right, in Babylon, and then leave others to, you know, maintain the land, if you will. So, um, so just a couple of things just to refresh about chapter one. So uh, one thing we'll notice, and we're going to talk about this too in chapter two, but there's kind of uses of, of pronouns like, uh, you know, he and she. And in, in chapter one, there was a lot of she. And she basically was personifying um, the kingdom of Judah, of Jerusalem, right, of the, of the land of Israel. And so, the, you know, the area is considered female. And it was, it's really about mourning, right, about the loss of their lifestyle, of their land, of their church, and really starting to feel the loss of their relationship with God too. And so just some you know, key verses, uh, Judah had gone into exile, that's in verse three. Um, they do acknowledge their sin, right, in verse eight. And in verse 18, it says that the Lord was right, for I, meaning the nation of Jerusalem, have rebelled against his word, right? So we kind of get a, a very short picture of that. And, and ultimately, really what this is about, it's about a funeral, right? This is kind of a funeral song about the nation, right? The nation of Israel is dying, or you could say is dead, right? It has passed on. So very, um, you know, very rough circumstances 
if you will. And I think what's really powerful about this too is they really experience God's favor and his presence leaving them, right? Like what is it, what is it like to, to be brought to the promised land but then go and continue to worship other gods, right, and to sin and disobey God? And then God finally saying, okay, if that's really what you want, who you want to worship, then I'll let you do that, right? And God kind of steps away, and we're going to see a little bit of what he's doing. And so they experience that. Now, when it comes to, you know, the things that, that go on, remember, this is just a moment in time. <laughs> this chapter is kind of hard, and, and you know, it's, it's going to talk about some of the, the qualities of God that were not always our favorite subjects. But, but in the end, whenever God's doing something, he has a purpose, right? He's letting the people experience the consequence of their sin, but ultimately with the hope that they are going to, they're going to realize, oh, man, sin and following sin and the effects of sin that's not the kind of lifestyle I want to have, right? I want to have a lifestyle with God and, and with his blessing, with his favor. And so, um, you know, one of the questions we asked last week was around why do, you know, bad things happen to good people, right? And I kind of poked at the question, like, what is good people, right? And, um, and so today I'm going to ask a different question, and I'm going to say uh, kind of from God's standpoint, like, how much patience should he have with his people before he takes corrective action? Right? before he lets them experience the, you know, the wrath of sin, if you will. Right? And so, um, you know, so we can wrestle around with some of those things. But, but one, one story I love, and I'm sure you guys do in Luke 15, you know, I call that the lost chapter. You got the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then ultimately the lost son, right? the prodigal son. But what does the prodigal son do? He's with the father. Right? He has everything set up. Like the father has made everything prepared for him. But the son is just, he wants it all now. Right? He wants it in a different way. And, and so the son, you know, just paraphrasing, he goes away from the father with you know, the blessings of the father, if you will. But over a matter of time, he realizes, oh, man, maybe I can't quite do this so good on my own. <laughs> and he loses all his money. And he gets to the point where he's actually doing jobs that would be considered almost disgraceful right, for his culture. And so much so that he's almost eating food that the animals would eat. Right? It's just he's gone from a, a place of high standing to uh, I don't know if it's the lowest of the low, but it's a pretty bad spot, right? But eventually he says, well, if I could just be with my father, I could be in his house and just be a servant, that would be way better than anything I could do away from the father, you know? And he has this whole story of how he's going to, you know, confess his sins and, and just be back somewhere, right? Just in the vicinity. But his father doesn't, doesn't think the same way the son does, does he? Right? The father says, no, you, you're coming back. I'm going to restore you completely to where you were. You know, you're not a servant, you're my son, right? And it's almost like no questions asked, right? And um, so that's, that's what I think our, our God demonstrates is even though we go astray, we have this opportunity to come back, right? We have this way to confess and focus on him <clears throat> and be forgiven and reinstated. So I think that's one of the things that we're, we're being warned of or, or guided in in this process is as we go away from God, like we might, um, how do we get back to God? Right? And part of it is just acknowledging that we may have sinned and that God is right, he's just, and that there is hope. And um, so what I would like to do, uh, Henry, if you don't mind, can we put up our memory verse? If you guys remember, Lamentations 3. Yeah, Lamentations 3. I'll read it, and you can put it up later if you don't have it. Lamentations 3, verses 22 to 24. I think I messed this up a lot last week, so I'm going to try not to do that this time. 
I mean, that's pretty good, right? It was like 90% maybe. So uh, and again, I'm not going to look at the screens. Okay? Maybe I will one of these times because I want you guys to read it with me too. But, um, but what does Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 say? Um, let me see. My, my mind's drawing blank right now, so I'm going to get it. Okay. <laughs> and it does say, okay, I'm going to look at the screen. Okay. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I never use the word cease. So that's what kind of throws me off. Right? Uh, but his mercies never come to an end. That's what I messed up last week. But his mercy, oh yeah, and then they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Right. Therefore, I will hope in him. Okay, and if you don't mind, can we just go back to the beginning? I want us all to read it because this is how we do memory verses, right? We hear it, we see it, we speak it, right? We're going to get it through our minds. Okay, so let's go ahead and read this together. You ready? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Wait, are you guys talking? Because I can't hear you. Are you guys are you talking? Okay. All right, start again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Much better. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Okay. Excellent. So this is, uh, again, amidst all of this suffering, right, and this uh, that we're going through in this Lamentations. There is hope. And, and uh, next week, we are going to be talking about Chapter 3, so it's going to be right on the money. Now, when we had our small group discussions last week, um, I was, uh, we talked about a lot of different things. You know, we didn't have a shy group. We kinda, everything was on the table, which was kind of cool. And I wanted to share with you, um, I was encouraged. I won't name any names here, but you know, I was encouraged to give a little bit more hope in the message. Because you know, it, it is kind of hard, right? Like these are, these are reasons that people were crying and they're suffering. And, um, and so I hope to do that today. And um, this one uh, was another, you know, another discussion we had was around what is actually happening, right, in that first chapter, right? We talked about it's, it's the death of a nation, right? It's kind of a funeral song. And um, so there was just a lot of impact. And I was just thankful that, you know, Santosh shared this insight. And uh, he may get to share it later on, too. But, uh, but it's really about how, how did the nation feel about it? How did Israel really process this thing, right? They... The land that they loved, they were taken away from, right? The church, the temple, right, which is where God's presence was, was no more. It was burned down. It was torn apart, right? And so when we think about that, like, how, how can we personalize this? How can we put ourselves in that position, right? And some, some of us may have gone through some traumatic things. And, you know, like, just for me in my lifetime, I, I feel like the biggest event that I experienced maybe was 9-11, right? That was a pretty momentous day in my life. Something tragic happened, right? And, we, and, we, and, it, sh and it shook you, right? It, it shifted us off of what we're, what we're used to. And again, that's, that's kind of a big national event, so to speak, but there's also personal things too, right? I mean, uh, could be, you know, the loss of a family member, even a pet, um, and really anything, right? Of a car, of a, of a house, all those kind of things. But if we, if we did take this to our church level, right, or even ourselves, that we were taken over, our nation was taken over by another nation, right? And I'm not here to, you know, pick who is the enemy nation, but you could probably think in your mind, oh, if that nation, if there was a nation that was going to take us over, it would be that nation, right? It would be the ones that maybe are not considered our allies, right? They would be the ones that are on, on our, you know, be careful list, right? And so we, we get taken from our nation and... Our church gets burned down. So for those of us in the room, this particular building is no more. 
I mean, we could come and try to meet here, but it's all rubble, right? It's just like we're out in the desert, right? It's just, it's not a place where we have this freedom, right? Where it's comfortable. <clears throat> so we can't do that. And so, you know, if we, if we think about it, this, this may be, from a Jewish history standpoint, maybe the saddest, darkest day that they've ever experienced. And, you know, one of the reasons I might say that is, in, at least in Jewish tradition, is they actually read the Book of Lamentations every year to remember this tragic event that occurred, right? And so it's, it's a way for them to continue to mourn and grieve, if you will, but also to celebrate, because this isn't the end of the story, is it, right? Lamentations isn't the end of our Bible, right? It's just a part of it. Um, but from a, from a national standpoint, it's, uh, it's really interesting. And, you know, one thing I love, too, and uh, you guys can take this, you know, for what it's worth, but, but we do see a death of a nation, right? But, you know, God's in the business of bringing things back to life, right? Is there a nation called Israel today, yeah. right? You can trace that back to a whole bunch of crazy events that happened, but roughly around the, you know, the year 1948, they're reestablished, right? And so, you know, so from that point on, if you think about that, if, if the temple was destroyed and Israel was taken over in 586 BC, and then in 1948 was restored, that's a long time in between there, right? But something has died, something has come back to life, right? And um, so in that way, it's, it's quite a blessing. All right, so uh, let's look a little bit at chapter two. Now, uh, when we look at this, hopefully we're going to see a little bit, uh, some patterns. You're going to see some words that kind of get repeated. And, and one of the things, remember, in chapter 1, there was the verse, uh, you would see she a lot, right, to symbolize the city, right, the country, the land, all that kind of stuff. But now we're going to see um, masculine. We're going to see he. And who does he refer to? Um, it's going to be referring to God, right? And so God is going to be the center of attention here. And then, you know, with all of this stuff, I'm not sure if I've communicated this clearly, but, uh, but do we know why Jerusalem fell, right? Why did Judah fall? The, the people were not only sinning, right, because everyone sins, but they were, like, they, were, they were sinning a lot, right? They were actually worshiping other gods, right? It was, it was almost like that was the priority, right? And so for us as Christians, I mean, we're probably never going to be perfect, right? We are going to sin here and there, uh, but it's almost like they chose specifically, hey, I'm not going to worship you, God, I'm going to, like, deliberately disobey you, right? I'm going to rebel. I'm going to go the other direction. And so uh, we start to see some of the qualities of God, like how does God respond to sin, right? God's justice, um, you know, his anger, those kind of things. And, you know, uh, what's, what's also kind of interesting with the timing is if you think about, I don't know, if you want to start, like, maybe when the first king was implemented, King Saul, you know, or King David. So you're looking at about 1,000 B.C., Right? And then, remember, this event happened in 586 B.C. So there's quite a few years right, between when that started and when this happened. And so I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I, I might touch on it again. But that's a couple hundred years. right? So there's, some, there's a significant amount of time that's happened uh, between kind of the start and the finish. Um, okay, so let's get into the scripture. Uh, so in chapter 2, and uh, I don't know if your Bibles have these two, but there are little headers, and typically those are very useful. <laughs> and my header says, the Lord has destroyed without pity. Okay, So um, very clear as to what's going to happen, right? So in verse 2, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. And uh, just one note there about footstool. 
Um, it's actually defined quite a few different ways. It could be the Ark of the Covenant. It could be the temple. It, it could also be Zion or the land of Israel. And it could also be literally where God's feet rest. You know, so um, there's a lot. Uh, Hebrew itself, the Hebrew language is very poetic. But so when you see things like footstool, footstool, it might actually have more meaning than just a footstool, right? Like there's some depth to it. Uh, but in verse two, the Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. So I'm hoping you're getting a picture of how complete, right, and how, um, how much God's energy is being put towards Jerusalem, right, in terms of the, the places. And, and we're seeing a theme here of God's anger, right? And, and I want to just park on this for a moment. You know, I uh, just want to ask you a couple questions. So when it comes to anger, uh, would you guys say that anger is sinful? You can, you can say yes or no, right? Okay. Now, um, does God get angry? Okay, God gets angry. So does God sin? No. Okay, good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just trying to ask some questions so we can think about, like, what's going on. So there's anger. God gets angry. God doesn't sin. Okay, and so it, I think, as you guys know, it is possible for us to get angry and not sin. Right? We see that in Ephesians uh, 4.26. And, you know, Paul encourages, encourages us in that way. But I will tell you personally, when I get angry, uh, there's a really good chance that I sin, right? It's probably in the 90% range, right, when I get angry. It's not a divine anger, right? And it's, um, but God's not that way. But you might, you know, you might be asking, well, why does God get angry, right? Well, what, what would God get angry about? It's, yeah, sin, exactly. Yeah, because when you think about sin, what does that mean? That means um, people are disobeying him, right? And because when we obey God, we're loving him, right? But if we're disobeying him, well, then we're not loving him. And what would that also mean? Like, we might actually be hating him, right? And then on top of that, we might be worshiping other gods, right? So not only are we not, you know, returning the love that God has given us, but we're giving the love that God should get to something else, right? And so um, sin is just um, really, you know, really works against us, right? It's really something that we want to be careful of. Now, in Psalm 145, verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, right? In that one small little scripture, we see all the great qualities of God. And, and guess what? He, is ang- he does get angry, right? But it's just one of several that are listed, right? He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. And, um, you know, we get, uh, there's more Psalms that kind of repeat that same thing. Now, remember, we just talked about a little earlier about just some questions, right? Uh, and we talked about, well, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And then the other question I want us to pose, too, is, is God just, right? Is God a God of justice, or is he not, right? And so I would hope you would say yes to that question. And then the other question, which is kind of a little bit what we've teased about before, is how long should God wait until he corrects his children, right? Until he takes care of the sin that's been going on, right? And as I just mentioned, um, you know, like when it came to King Saul, that was about 1,000 B.C., but if we kind of give a little bit more time, King Solomon, remember we talked about him a little bit last time too, considered the wisest man, but for some reason um, he got involved with many women, right? And so much, it was at least a thousand, right, is what the Bible says. And then each one that was not a godly woman, guess what they brought? They brought their gods with them. And then Solomon would worship their gods too. 
And because of that, that was kind of the reason why the, the whole nation of Israel was broken into two kingdoms, right, from that point on. And so in this, you know, again, just doing the math, we're talking around 400 years, right? Maybe a little less. But that's how patient God was during that time. You know, because I think it's sometimes it's easy to ask those tough questions but not see the big picture. Like why, you know, why did God wait so long, right? And how patient was he? You know, those kind of things. All right, let's continue on in verse 4. And it says, he, this is God, he has bent his bow like an enemy and with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent and the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy, and he has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of its palaces, and he has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. So again, I'm hoping you're seeing a picture here where God is, it seems like he's slowly dismantling things, right? He's taken away their strongholds. Um, he's swallowing them up, if you will. And so they're very visual, right? It's very poetic in the way that it's being described. And so ultimately, all the things that the people were depending on, God is removing one by one, right? He's taking away the things that they were depending on. And in verse 6, he has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest and you know there's a lot packed into the the festival and Sabbath but festivals would be time of great joy typically right come together for meals and it would be time to connect with God and Sabbath that's your day you go to church right that's a day that you go and worship and it's saying that the Lord has made them forget that right the times where they would connect with God um, you know it's, it's almost like he's not making it easy to find him He's just saying, if you worship other gods, then there's no point in me helping you connect to me, right? Like, you just go the path that you want to go. And in verse 7, the Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have raised a clamor in the house of the Lord, as on the day of the festival. And the Lord determined to lay in ruins the walls of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line and he did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. Uh, they languished together. Okay, so I just, yeah, just wanna pause on this for just a moment. So there's some things that he's, that are, that are being referred to here. We have the altar. We have the house of the Lord, right? We have, uh, we talked about already the festival and the Sabbath and, and festival again is repeated here. But these are all places where the people would come and meet with God, right? But they don't worship him anymore, right? It's almost like it's, a, it's an empty place, right? It's, it's like these four walls exist, but nothing in, in this room is about worshiping God. Nothing in this room is about loving God, right? And that's what, that's what is being described in this scene. And, you know, you might be asking, well, what kind of sins did the people commit, right? How did they get God's attention? What were they doing that was so bad? And I just want to give you one example. Um, it, it is described that they were forsaking God and they worshiped other gods. We've said that a couple times. Uh, but in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 2, uh, one of the kings over Israel, his name was um, Ahaziah. And he, he fell and he got sick. And he, he did a good thing. He called out to God. But guess which God he called out to? Um, it's labeled as uh, Baalzebub. Does that sound familiar to you guys? 
the God of Ekron. Right? He knew he needed help. He was sick. And he's the king of Israel. But what God is he going to? He's not going to the God of Israel, right? He's going to someone else. And so it does seem like it would be obvious that we, he would turn to God, but, but I kind of wonder today, do we have a society that does the same thing? That when we have trouble, we don't go to God. Maybe we go to the horoscope, right? Maybe we go to um, you know, the fortune tellers, right? Maybe there's other things that we go to that's not godly. And so we have to be aware of those things. Uh, because ultimately, this, you know, what we're reading in the scripture is what people who love God, how they went sideways, right? And how they went to this, this bad place, if you will. And so it's a warning for us, right? It's a, it's a sign that says, hey, if we follow that path, guess what our result's going to be? And so we don't have to go that way. And that's why I, I hope, you know, as we study this, this book, um, it'll be very, very clear, right? What's, what's the right path? What's not the right path? But ultimately, anything that takes the place of God is what we put our faith in. It's what we love, right? It's what we cherish. It's what we value. So, you know, and, and when I picture this scene of just how God is dismantling, he's, de- he's destroying, really, right? He's taking away all of their comforts and, and what they hold on to. It's almost like he's making it harder for them to come to him, right? Like the convenience of coming to this church, as an example. You know, if, if we were in their shoes and we wanted to come, to come to God and this church was destroyed, would we, would we still continue to go to God, right? Would we have that initiative? Would we have that priority um, to put energy into it? You know, and I, I just wonder sometimes, too, like, just how effective the enemy can be in separating us from God. And what I mean by that is, even when we do come in here today, right, when we come in and we worship, like, if, if it's a song that maybe we don't know or maybe we don't like, right, or any of those things, does that get in the way of us connecting with God and worshiping, right? And it, maybe, it's a, like a, like maybe it's even Lamentations. <laughs> maybe you guys don't want to hear about Lamentations, right? I don't know, I don't know what it is, but maybe there's a, a message, and you're like, ah, I'm just not connecting with it. Or, I, hey, I know that already, right? Like, there's, there's, it's just not for me, right, kind of thing. And I just wonder how, how effective is the enemy when he can block us in those things, right? When it's just so easy for us to come and connect with God and hear God's word. And... Um, so, you know, those are things that I, I just feel like God asks us and says, well, in what ways, in what environment will we worship him, right? Is it only going to be when it's the songs that we like? Is it only going to be when it's the scripture that we like, right? Is it only going to be when it's the preacher that we like, right? Or it's the church that I like, whatever the situation, right? And so I think that's something God's always putting in front of us is we have the privilege to come to him and connect with him. And are, are we going to let things get in the way of that, Right? Are we going to only come to God under certain circumstances, if you will? And so, you know, God, I really feel like he's putting a lot of pressure on these guys, right? He's, he's taking away their livelihood. He's taking away their convenience to connect with God. And he's going to say, okay, at some point, you might realize that what you're doing, right, and how you're going, where you're going, when you're going away from God, that's not really what you want. So God is trying to help them see that, right? He's like, because you, when you choose to go away from God, you choose to reject, reject God, that's what you get, right? Because you don't get God with you. So he's really uh, trying to love them in that way. And, and you know, when we were in our uh, small group last week, too, uh, one of the other discussions we, we talked about was um, it just feels like it's so easy to be a Christian at church, right? Because we all kind of want to be here. We want to worship. We want to hear the word. We want to pray and talk together, all those things. But when we go home, 
when we go outside this building, it seems very hard to be a Christian, right? And so, and again, I don't think it's supposed to be that way. I mean, I, actually, I love it that it's easy to be a Christian here. I do love that. <laughs> I don't want that to change, okay? So if anybody hears anything different, that's not what I want. But what I want is that same um, excitement, that same energy, the same uh, results, you know, would, would happen throughout the week, right? Because we're only here for such a short time, right, on, on Saturday, uh, not Saturdays, well, maybe in the future Saturdays, but Sundays and Wednesdays, right? So um, our whole life can have a better relationship with God. It can have a better impact. And so that's our prayer, is that we would connect with God more effectively. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to verse 9. And it says, her gates, remember we're talking about her now, so that would be the people. They have sunk into the ground, and he has ruined and broken her bars. Her kings and her princes are among the nations, and the law is no more. For her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Do you guys know what uh, gates and bars represent? You know, why would, why would a city have gates and bars around it? That would be for protection, right? It would keep the things out that are supposed to be out, and the things that are in, supposed to be in. And guess what it's saying is they have sunk into the ground, and their, their bars are broken. So there is no protection. There is no difference, right? Things can flow in and out, no problem. And the elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence, and they have thrown dust on their heads, which is a way of mourning, right, and to put on sackcloth. And the women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. And in verse 11, my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns and my bile is poured onto the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. So you can see the prophet, the author, is very affected here. And primarily because of suffering of the city, but um, is there anything that's tougher than the suffering of a child? It's just there's certain things that hit us deeper in our hearts, depending on what it is. And so, you know, the author is agonizing over this. And he's weeping over the city. And I think it's, it's asking us a question, too. What breaks our hearts, right? What, what captures our heart's attention? What are we sensitive to when we're around? And, um, and even on a positive light, what makes us laugh, right? What are we attracted to? What are the things that just really get our attention? And then we continue on in verse 12. They cry to their mothers, where, there is, where is the bread and wine? As they faint, like a wounded man in, this, in the streets of the city as their life is poured out into their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what, um, excuse me, to what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you to that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions, for they have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. And I think this is one of the greatest tragedies is the prophets were the messengers of God, right? They would be the ones that would bring the truth. And not only are they not doing it, you know, they're bringing false and deceptive visions, um, but they're also not correcting the behavior. Right? They're actually promoting it. They're pointing people away from God. And, um, and again, in, in all ways possible, everything is going the way it shouldn't go. Right? It's all going downhill. And then in verse 15, it says, All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. And they say this, Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? Right? 
And so you talk about like pouring salt on an open wound, right? It's just not only is it getting bad, but the enemies are making fun of you now, right? People are calling you out and saying, you're really not all that, right? Where is your God now? And verse 16, it continues, and all your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they hiss, excuse me, and they gnash their teeth. And they cry, we have swallowed her, for this is the day we've longed for, and now we have it. And in verse 17, the Lord has done what he has purposed, for he carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. And, you know, just kind of in a short way, what God, what's being said here is God had already play, laid out the plans. He said, look, follow me and you'll be blessed, right? But if you choose your own way, you choose to sin, then as a just God, I have to, I have to make sure that you um, understand the consequences of your actions, right? I have to be a God of justice. And in verse 18, it says, And the heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, for your eyes no respite. And so this last section is kind of a prayer, if you will. It's a crying out to God. Their hearts cried out to God. And in verse 19, Arise and cry in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Now, there's, there's a lot of deep things going on here, but, but when we're suffering and when we're desperate, what should we do? It says we should pour out our hearts to the Lord. And it says we should lift our hands to him. Right? And so we do those things when we worship. We do those things um, at church, right? When we do those things at home. And ultimately, when we pray to him, we want to pray with fervor. We want to pray like we mean it. We want to pray with uh, energy right, and, and, um, and determination. And verse 20, look, O Lord, and see with whom you have dealt, um, excuse me, with whom you have dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest, be prophet, priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? And verse 21, in the dust of the streets like, lie the young and the old. My young women and young men have fallen on the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. And so when we say young and old, that's capturing everybody. There is nobody that wasn't affected, right? And our last verse for tonight is verse 22. And it says, you summoned as if to a festival day. My terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. For those whom I held, I raised, it was raised, and the enemy was destroyed. And so we get this complete picture of what God has done, right? There's really nothing left, right? He's done a complete work to kind of disassemble, to destroy, and realign them. And, um, you know, that, that concludes our chapter two. I do want to talk a little bit um, about our memory verse again. Um, and let's go ahead and read that together. Go ahead and go to um, Lamentations 3, 22, and then we'll read those verses together. So let's go ahead and read this together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. 
So as we've talked about this great work that God has done in the land of Israel, right, is to, is to kind of strip them of all the things that they depended on, right, and to, to make them feel the separation from him. There is this hope that we've talked about, and, and you guys know who our hope is, right? It's God is our hope. Jesus is our hope. And, um, and as, you know, Pastor James has been leading us in the book of Exodus, um, you know, he, God chooses his people who are slaves, right? And he's going to draw them out into the promised land, and, um, and he's going to give them Ten Commandments, right? He's gonna, they're they're going to start to build a nation and, and have kings and, and all those things. And, and God's just very patient with them, right, as he's building and he's teaching and, and he's showing them. And, and obviously this part here, we, you know, this part that we're focused on with Lamentations, we see how the people have, have chosen other gods, right? They've gone after that. And, and so you know, we might ask ourselves, well, why would God let them go through that? You know? And the, I think they really needed to know, what does it mean to worship other gods? What does it mean to live without God? What does it mean to live in our own power, right? Without, without God, our own wisdom, our own resources? And I think on the other side is to know how great it is to be in God's blessing, right? To be in his presence, to be uh, with him, to worship him, and to love him. And, you know, God, when he, when he disciplines like he's doing in this particular thing, it's for a purpose. It's to draw his people back. And he does it in a loving way. Um, but he, it's always about redemption, right? God is always trying to redeem his people back to him. And so, as we've mentioned, one of the things we want to learn is we want to see what's happened in the past, and we want to learn from that so we don't repeat those same mistakes, right? And so not only does it protect us, but those around us, and that we can pass it on to the next generation. And, you know, with all of this happening, with all the things that was going on, God still knew in his mind he was going to send Jesus for us, right? He knew that the Messiah was coming. Even as bad as it looked, as, as grim as it looked at that time, he still knew what was going to be happening through Jesus. And, and so, uh, you know, he knew that all of our sins would come upon him. Jesus would take our place and that, so that we can have a relationship with him. And so, you know, the way that we can love God is by obeying him, right? It's to pay attention to his word. All right, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to close in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and talk about our questions, and then we'll get into small groups right after this. So uh, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this book of Lamentations. Um, I do pray, Lord, as, as it's supposed to impact us in our hearts, Lord, I pray that it would shape us. And Lord, where we need very clear walls and protections of where not to go, Lord, I pray we would receive that and, and we would have just a firm foundation of, of where we're called to go and, and where we're outside the line. And Lord, we see this in the, in the book of Lamentations where the people had just gone too far. They've just gone way overboard, way out of bounds. And so Lord, I pray you would give us wisdom to not even uh, consider that, to not even go near that. That we would just be so in love with you, Lord, that other things just wouldn't catch our eye. They wouldn't have any impact on us. And so Lord, we want to dedicate our lives to you. We want to worship you completely. We want to live in the victory that you've already paid for, that you've already won. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, you would uh, just deposit that hope in us, that you would raise us up. And for those of you who would consider yourself a mature Christian, that we would raise ourselves up to that next level because we trust in you because of the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, so, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for our small groups, we've got a couple questions I'd love, love for us to discuss. And um, 
and of course we can pray for each other too. So go ahead and put those questions on the board so that those online can see too. And uh, so I'm always curious and it's, it's always powerful, what is God speaking to you today? And that would include worship too, right? If, if you feel like God is speaking to you in worship and also in the message in God's word, what is it that he showed you today? Um, and then the other thing is when we look at the nation of Israel, what can we learn from them? What are things that we can, we can do to not follow in their footsteps when it came to the wrong thing? And then the very last one's a little bit more personal, but if there are times in your life when you find it hard to connect with God, what is it that you do? You know, how do you pursue God? What is it that is effective for you? Okay, so those are the questions that I'd like us to discuss. So we can go ahead and get into uh, small groups and um, I look forward to our fellowshipping time.